Chapter 9, Part 1 of The Making of a Nation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ben Wilford. The Making of a Nation, The Beginning of Israel's History by Charles Foster Kent. Chapter 9, Part 1. Study 5. The Pioneer's Influence Upon a Nation's Ideals Abraham, the Traditional Father of His Race Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 8 Chapters 13, verses 1 through 13 Chapter 16, chapter 18, chapter 19 Chapter 21, verse 7 Chapter 22, verses 1 through 19 Parallel Readings History of the Bible 1 pages 73 through 94 principles of politics pages 160 through 175 jehovah said to abraham go forth from thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house to the land that i will show thee that i will make thee a great nation and i will surely bless thee and make thy name great so that thou shalt be a blessing i will also bless them that bless thee and him that curseth thee I will curse, so that all the families of the earth shall ask for themselves a blessing like thine own. So Abraham went forth, as Jehovah had commanded him. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, History of the Bible. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed to go out into a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he became a sojourner in the land of promise, as in a land not his own, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for the city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. 1. The Prophetic Stories About Abraham Many biblical scholars claim that the data point to variant versions of the different stories about Abraham. Thus, for example, there are two accounts of his deceptions regarding Sarah. One in chapter 12, verses 9, through chapter 13, verses 1, and the other in chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. The oldest version of the story they believe is found in chapter 26, verses 1 through 14, and is told not of Abraham, but of Isaac, whose character it fits far more consistently. Similarly, there are three accounts of the covenant with Abimelech. Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 through 31, chapter 21, verses 25 through 34, and chapter 26, verses 15 through 33. The two accounts of the expulsion of Hagar and the birth of Ishmael in Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, and chapter 21, verses 1 through 20, differ rather widely in details. In one account, Hagar is expelled, and Ishmael is born after the birth of Isaac, and in the other before that event. Do these variant versions indicate that they were drawn from different groups of narratives? The differences in detail are in generally closely parallel to those which the New Testament student finds in the different accounts of the same events or teaching in the life of Jesus. They suggest to many that the author of the book of Genesis 
was eager to preserve each and every story regarding Abraham. Instead, however, of preserving intact the different groups of stories, as is in the case of the Gospels, they have been combined with great skill. Sometimes, as in the case of the expulsion of Hagar, the two versions are introduced at different points in the life of the patriarch. More commonly, the two or more versions are closely interwoven, giving a composite narrative that closely resembles Tetion's Diatessaron, which was one continuous narrative of the life and teaching of Jesus, based on quotations from each of the four Gospels. Fortunately, if this theory is right, the group of stories most fully quoted and therefore best preserved is the early Judean prophetic narratives. When these are separated from the later parallels, they give a marvelously complete and consistent portrait of Abraham. 2. The meaning of the early prophetic stories about Abraham. Read the prophetic stories regarding Abraham, History of the Bible, 1, pages 73, 74, 79 through 81, 84 through 87, 90 through 92. Are these stories to be regarded simply as chapters from the bibliography of the early ancestors of the Hebrews, or, like the story of the Garden of Eden, do they have a deeper, a more universal moral and religious significance? Back of the story of Abraham's call and settlement in Canaan clearly lies the historic fact that the ancestors of the Hebrews as nomads migrated from the land of Abram to seek for themselves and their descendants a permanent home in the land of Canaan. Abraham, whose name in Hebrew means exalted father, or as it was later interpreted, father of a multitude, naturally represents this historic movement, but the story of his call and settlement in Canaan has a larger meaning and value. It simply and vividly illustrates the eternal truth that, one, God guides those who will be guided, two, he reveals himself alone to those who seek a revelation. 3. His revelations came along the path of duty and are confined to no place or land. 4. For those who will be led by him, God has in store a noble destiny. 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 6. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Thus this marvelous story presents certain of the noblest fruits of Israel's spiritual experiences. Incidentally, it also deals with the relationship between the Hebrews and their neighbors, the Moabites, across the Jordan and the Dead Sea. For Lot in these earlier stories stands as the traditional ancestor of the Moabites and Ammonites. It is evident that, like the opening narratives of Genesis, this story aimed to explain existing conditions as well as to illustrate the deeper truths of life. Similarly, the story of the expulsion of Hagar, it is thought, aims primarily to explain the origins of Israel's foes, the nomadic Ishmaelites, who lived south of Canaan. In the inscriptions of the Assyrian king Sennacherib, Hagar-Ranu is the name of an Armenian tribe. A tribe bearing a similar name is also mentioned in the South Arabian inscriptions. The Hagar of the story is a typical daughter of the desert. When she became the mother of a child, the highest honor that could come to a Semitic woman, she could not resist the temptation to taunt Sarah. In keeping with early Semitic customs, Sarah had full authority to demand the expulsion of Hagar, for in the eye of the law the slave wife was her property. 
The tradition of the revelation to Hagar also represented the popular explanation of the sanctity of the famous desert shrine Biralaharo. Like most of the prophetic stories, this narrative teaches deeper moral lessons. Chief among these is the broad truth that the sphere of God's care and blessings was by no means limited to Israel. To the outcast and needy, he ever comes with his message of counsel and promise. Was Abraham right or wrong in yielding to Sarah's wish? Was Sarah right or wrong in her attitudes towards Hagar? Was Hagar's triumphal attitudes towards Sarah natural? Was it right? In the story of the destruction of Sodom, Lot appears as a central figure. His choice of the fertile plain of the Jordan had brought him into close contact with its inhabitants, the Canaanites. Abandoning his nomadic life, he had become a citizen of the corrupt city of Sodom. When at last Jehovah had determined to destroy the city because of its wickedness, Abraham persistently interceded that it be spared. Its wickedness proved, however, too great for pardon. Lot, who, true to his nomad training, hospitably received the divine messengers, was finally persuaded to flee from the city and thus escape the overwhelming destruction that fell upon it. What was the possible origin of this story? History of the Bible, 1, page 87. What are the important religious teachings of this story? Were great calamities in the past usually the result of wickedness? Are they today? Do people so interpret the destruction of San Francisco and Messina? The great epidemic of cholera in Hamburg in 1892 was clearly the result of a gross neglect of sanitary precautions in regard to the water supply. At that date, the cholera germ had not been clearly identified, and there was some doubt regarding the means by which the disease was spread. Was sanitary neglect then as much of a sin as it would be now? May we properly say that the pestilence was a calamity visited on that city as a punishment for its sins of neglect. Why did the prophets preserve the story of the sacrifices of Isaac? Compare the parallel teachings in Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before Jehovah, bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will Jehovah be pleased with thousands of rams, with myriads of streams of oil? Shall I give him my firstborn for my guilt, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Which is the most important teaching of the story? the importance of an unquestioning faith in obedience or the needlessness of human sacrifice does god ever command any person to do anything that the person thinks wrong three the prophetic portrait of abraham in the so-called later priestly stories regarding abraham see especially genesis chapter seventeen he is portrayed as a devoted servant of the law chiefly intent upon observing the simple ceremonial institutions revealed to him in that primitive age. With him the later priests associated the origin of the distinctive rite of circumcision. In Genesis 14, Abraham is pictured as a valiant warrior who espoused the cause of the weak and won a great victory over the united armies of the eastern kings. Like a knight of the olden times, he restored the captured spoil to the city that had been robbed and gave a liberal portion to the priest king melchizedek who appears to have been regarded in later jewish tradition as the forerunner of the jerusalem priesthood 
In the still later Jewish traditions, of which many had been preserved, he is pictured sometimes as an invincible warrior, before whom even the great cities of Damascus fell, sometimes as an ardent foe of idolatry, the incarnation of the spirit of later Judaism, or else he is thought of as having been borne to heaven on a fiery chariot, where he receives to his bosom the faithful of his race. Thus each succeeding generation or group of writers made Abraham, as the traditional father of their race, the embodiment of their highest ideals. The Abraham of the early prophetic narratives, however, is a remarkably consistent character. He exemplifies that which is noblest in Israel's early ideals. How is Abraham's faith illustrated in the prophetic stories considered in the preceding paragraphs? His unselfishness and generosity, his courtly hospitality, was his politeness to strangers simply due to his training in the traditions of the desert, or was it the expression of his natural impulses? Was Abraham's devoted interest in the future of his descendants a noble quality? How are his devotion and obedience to God illustrated? In the light of this study, describe the Abraham of the prophetic narratives. Is it a perfect character that is thus portrayed? Is it the product of a primitive state of society or of a high civilization? End of chapter 9 Recording by Ben Wilford of Jackson, Tennessee